The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 278 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan. <sighs> the Natty Hattie. Oh, boy. And Steve Peters. Two weeks. Two weeks. More coming later. I mean, that's my thing. I'm going to introduce something in the intro, and I'll explain later. Two weeks. There's your there's your segue. It's kind of like HK, and that got some legs last week. So this week, it's two weeks. I feel like I might have a guess as to what two weeks is, but I won't spoil it in case I'm okay. right or wrong. All right, guys, let's uh, let's start. Let's go nationally to begin uh, this week's show for a variety of reasons. But first, before we talk, I want to remind everybody to rate and review the show uh, on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at the Natty Hattie. That makes it possible for us to keep doing the show for more and more people. And so let's begin uh, big picture. This is not the two weeks that I think Petey was talking about, but the playoffs are supposed to start in two weeks. And some of these playoff races are getting interesting. And then there's a couple where like the, the North division just seems like it's, it's been decided for a month and a half already. Yeah. No, you read the the clips and the notes and the articles and all Calgary and Vancouver. They're not getting in. The the teams are set. Montreal to collapse. They they literally need to lose almost every game. Um, And they still have two games against Ottawa. I, I don't see them going much below 500 down the stretch. So I think your teams are set. The seeding, I think that's set too. So you're looking at a first-round matchup that I think a lot of hockey fans are going to be excited for, and that's, you know, the the original six Toronto-Montreal matchup. Um, I think Toronto's the better team, but when you put those two teams and the histories together, that that could be one of the best series um, in the opening round. I really hope we see that, to be honest. I want to see Montreal and Toronto in the first round. It's it's probably going to happen, and it's... I don't. I don't think you could possibly add more atmosphere, tension, um, storylines, and and probably media attention at least north of the border. It's just going to be insane. If those Wouldn't two- you rather rather see McDavid versus Matthews in the first round though? Like that was that was there for a couple of seconds and then it went away. Yeah, but don't you think? Don't you think, Luke? That this kind of ramps you up to that. You know, it gets you to the next round. Now you've got so first round, you get Toronto, Montreal, and the next round, hopefully you get Matthews, McDavid. I think Canadian fans are going to be out of their minds in this playoff season. They, they have so much to root for and look forward to. Um, I think that's going to be a good second round matchup, but, but I've said it many times. Winnipeg's going to be a heck of a team and they're going to be a hard out if Hellebeck gets hot. Like it's, Winnipeg's a good hockey team. They're, Edmonton's going to have their hands full. You know, you that, McDavid's, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I think McDavid's going to have to have an outstanding series to get by Winnipeg. And Winnipeg, if they check, uh, you know, uh, the, the top line for Edmonton, I think they have the better chance to win. So I know fans are hoping for that McDavid Matthews second round, but I'm not sure Winnipeg doesn't knock Edmonton off. See, and that, that's my worry is, is yeah. I want McDavid and Matthews at some point. And normally I'd agree with you guys, like Montreal, Toronto in the first round, all that tradition. They love the tradition, especially north of the border. There's going to be just chaos around that series. But I, I enjoy watching Toronto melt down in the first round every year. And I don't think there's really any way they would lose to Montreal. Whereas if they're going up against McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, that to me just – because like what Petey just said, Winnipeg could easily beat Edmonton. And then we may never get Toronto versus Edmonton. Yeah, I – First off, am I allowed to drink a protein shake on the air? Is that bad podcast? Oh, wow. Just wow. finish your workout, Craig? Wow. 
Look, look at this guy. He's like, hey, I'm going to post the video of this. Oh, I'm working out. And I've yeah. got my protein shake. Let me do a few curls before I turn yeah. the camera on. Yeah, nice. No coincidences with Craig Moore. Unbelievable. Secondly, is Connor McDavid going to get to 100 points in this season? He's on track right now. He's on pace. Yeah. It's insane to me. Clearly, we've said it for years, best player in yeah. in the league. But the milestones he's reaching this year. But again, it's so unique. Like you, you, when you're playing six teams over and over and over again, so much gets lost in the national and international picture of what's going on around the league that the people miss these storylines. Yeah. And I'm one of them. You know, you get so focused on what's going on here with Vegas, Colorado, and Arizona, and you miss the rest of the big picture. So I think the playoffs is going to be like almost like a reawakening or an emergence of the rest of the league. Oh, yeah, it, it exists. You know, I haven't seen the Dallas Stars play more than one game all year. I don't know if, if they're good, bad, what kind of club they have. So I think the playoffs is going to be a real interesting path to the cup with teams not knowing what other teams have. Let me ask you this, as long as you brought up Dallas, I've been thinking a lot about Dallas and St. Louis in particular, two teams that have to play well down the stretch to get into the playoffs. And you'll hear coaches talk about that a lot. A team that comes into the playoffs hot, you know, sort of already in playoff mode can pull one of those upsets in the first round. How do you read those two? Like St. Louis obviously has the potential to go deep in the playoffs. They won the cup in 2019. Are they a danger to Vegas in the first round? Is Dallas a danger to whoever wins the Central? Right now it's Carolina. See, I think Dallas is more of a threat than St. Louis is. I think Dallas just had a very slow start with their COVID situation and their schedule. I think they're playing exceptional hockey right now, as is St. Louis. They're getting the wins. I just don't see them having the ability to knock off Vegas. I think Vegas has all the right pieces. I think they're playing with a little bit of swagger right now. I I don't see a long run for St. Louis. Dallas, if they run up against Tampa Bay in that first round, I think they're in trouble. If they get Carolina, I might put my money on the stars. And, and to be honest, in, the, in that division, I'd, I'd like to see the Florida matchup to start it. I'd like to see the, the Tampa um, Panthers series to start. And then I think the starts stars knock off the Canes. And then we see Tampa and um, Dallas as a rematch in the second round, which is unbelievable. You get a Stanley Cup rematch in the second round of the playoffs. So I, Dallas could be a threat. I don't think they're a threat to win the division. I still think Tampa Bay comes out um, of the division once once the dust is settled. I think they're the best team. I think they know how to win. Um, I, I think they, they win the Central. Craig, just writing off the rest of the season in the Honda West division and assuming St. Louis gets in. Craig, you want to explain yourself, or are you still too busy drinking a protein shake? I think it's self-explanatory, actually. The Coyotes yeah. have lost, what, nine of their last 11 games, is it? St. Louis yeah. just beating Colorado twice and Minnesota. Um, yeah. Yeah, these are teams uh, going in different directions. they got a three-point lead. they got three games in hand. The Coyotes have, what, six games left in the season? It's not happening. I've come I mean, in. yeah, if this were a sports movie, this is exactly where you'd, you'd come into the, the climax of the movie. But, yes, sorry, go ahead, Petey. No, I, I've just – Continually, week after week, I've come in here and say, well, wait till next week. Wait till next week. They just need to do this this week. I, I think that that time frame has passed. I, I, unfortunately, you go into San Jose, you have to win those two hockey games, and you know you have to win those two hockey games, and you know what's at stake for the rest of the season because of those two games, and then you come out and not only lose, but you give up large leads early on both nights, is extremely disappointing. Um, is it mathematically possible? Sure. They, they need to go 6-0 and 
and you've got two games against Vegas coming up and again, you know, match up against the Sharks again. So do I think this team can go six and oh after losing, you know, nine of 11? I don't think that's possible. And St. Louis right now, three out of four against some really good competition. St. Louis is going to win some hockey games. Um, I think this is it. You know, it's, it's unfortunate for Coyotes fans. Having said that, we were talking playoffs with the Coyotes with six games to go. So, you know, take that as, as a, as a moral victory, as it were, because there are a lot of years we're not talking playoffs with six games to go. Not good enough, but, but it's, it's, it's a better season than I thought they would have. I do want to ask, and we'll get back to the, the national stuff, but since we're here, I do want to ask about the two San Jose games because the Coyotes basically owned them in the first four meetings. I know they lost the season opener and the shootout. And I mean, but they, even that game they controlled and San Jose came into these two games on an eight game losing streak. So I guess a two part question. I, I, I find it hard to believe that a team that's scrambling for a playoff spot would take an opponent lightly. I, I just don't think that's what the Coyotes did, but I don't know how you explain especially the second game, the slow start. You know, I, I could almost write off the slow start in the first game. San Jose had lost eight in a row. They were still in it. They were desperate. Maybe the Coyotes just came out flat. Uh, Petey and Craig, you can jump in on this too, but Petey, I mean, you've been in the room. How does the slow start happen on Wednesday against San Jose too? And it, it, what, it didn't look as bad, but they were actually down three nothing in the first. You know, it, the, the, the mystery from the coach's room, it's from the coach's perspective, you can only do so much to prepare your team. You can show them video. You can show them what happened in the last game. You can have your, you know, your speech, your Rudy motivational, let's go team speech before the game. But it, it's, it's in the hands of the players. Like if the players don't come out emotionally ready to play and bind together as a group, there's nothing that the coaches can stay, say to get them over that hump. And to me, it looked like a group of players that just, you, you don't want to say given up because that's not a fair term. They're professional athletes. They come to play. They were not as a group mentally ready to play that game the emotion was there so i don't know if we talk about belief a lot i don't know if the room believed i don't know if they looked at the schedule and go you know what we gotta we gotta go five and two or six and one i don't know if i can do it i'm tired this has been a hard season i'm you know aches and pains and we're missing garland i those things whether you want to believe it or not seep into a room and whether it's conscious or subconscious you start to go god this is a big hill to climb um where san jose they got nothing to play for like they, they're just loose they're relaxed good hockey team san jose was is a better hockey team than what they showed on paper this year um and they do have some speed and skill so you know on paper, those teams are very equal. It's it's not like, oh, the Coyotes are so much better because of where they are in the standings. It's San Jose had a tough start. So, you know, I, I put the onus on the players, and I don't think they came out mentally prepared to play. I want to stay on that for a little bit because Rick Tockett, after the game last night, took it on himself that the team wasn't prepared to play. He said, that's my fault. And a lot of fans have been hammering him for that all season there's this mantra out there that it's the coach's job to get players ready to play correct me if i'm wrong here but it's the coach's job to prepare them for what they're about to do you know uh, prepare them with a, a game plan for the opponent for their own game plan to really drill that stuff into them and and yeah and try and get them in the right frame of mind but once those guys go into the room before a game to me it's on the players particularly the leadership to make sure that that team is emotionally ready to play. What do you think, Petey? Yeah, I agree 100%. It's just what we said. Like the the coach can't inspire. Maybe there are moments that you can inspire a group of players, you know, when you can get them over that hump or over the hill. 
but it has to come internally. And sometimes there's a disconnect between the coaching staff and the players. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm not in the room, but there are times when players just go, I'm done listening to that guy. I, I, I don't want to hear him anymore. You know, I, and those, when you get to that point, it's really difficult to win because the players almost in spite of the coach are, are playing the game. And that's a difficult hill to climb. Um, I don't think that's what's happening here. I know coach Tockett's had a good res- relationship with a lot of the players. He's a good one-on-one coach. He's considered a player's coach. So I don't think that's what happened. Um, but I do think that the motivation and the inspiration has to come from your leadership group. It has to come from guys that have been there. And that's why when you're at this time of the year, you see teams that have won before win again because they have guys in the room that can push you along. Pittsburgh at one point, we were talking about a team that might miss the playoffs. Well, They're poised to potentially win their division now. Why? Because they have guys that pull the rope. They have guys that hold other guys in the room accountable. The guy sitting next to, next to them saying, you need to be better. I don't know if there's enough of that internal push in the Coyotes locker room, a guy that can look somebody in the eyes and say, you need to be better. And, and I go back to, oh, it's a long time ago when you had personalities in the locker room, like Rick Tockett as a player, Keith Kachuk, Jeremy Roanuk, Sean Burke, you know, strong personalities that could stand up in the room and vocally and verbally call guys out that you need to be better. Those are the teams that rise above when you have that internal pressure. And I'm not sure who that player is right now, and I'm not sure if they have that leadership. And I could go to Shane Doan era. Shane Doan isn't a guy that's going to use profanity and yell at players in the room. But Shane expects you to play your best when you're playing on a Shane Doan team as a leader. So there were times when Shane Doan's in that room between periods or post game that it, I won't say they come to, to fist the cuffs, but those one on one verbal battles get very escalated. And that's the kind of accountability that you expect from your leadership group. And, and I don't know if the Coyotes have that. He, you know, he, uh, on the subject of coaches, um, Rick has always said that he, he wanted someone to be sort of a liaison to the players because they would get tired of hearing his voice. And I, I think if Craig, if I'm wrong, I think you did that a lot while you were there. And I think Jay Verity is doing that now. So when I hear this, oh, he's lost the room. I think there are other ways that I think there are ways that Rick has tried to mitigate, you know, his voice being the only voice that the players are hearing. Yeah. And he's been around teams long enough to know what that's like. He's been on the player side. So he knows. And there are days he goes, you know what? These guys don't want to hear me today. Either A, somebody else run the meeting or B, let's not have a meeting or all the way to, you know what, let's not even go to the rink today. Let's A day you expect to have a difficult practice, a hard grinding practice, and he may say, let's just stay home. I, I think he's pretty good at reading that. There are times Rick Tockett's an emotional guy, and he wears his emotions on his sleeve, and you've seen it in the interviews. There are times where he just can't help himself, where he just he knows that he probably should stay away, and sometimes he just can't because the emotion is so high or the team played so poorly that he may – let his emotions out on the team. But, but those moments are so few and far between and so rare um, that, that I don't think this is a case of a coach losing the room. Mm. Um, uh, one other thing on the leadership thing there, PD, I mean, I know Coyotes fans and the Coyotes in general are probably spoiled when you had a guy like Shane Doan as your captain for so long, but that guy that you're talking about that can stand up in a room after a tough loss and, and single one or two guys out if he has to, that's not a personality trait that everybody has, right? I mean, if you're going to try and lead 
sort of be the silent lead by example guy. You've got to be truly elite on the ice every night. And there's just not a lot of players that are like that. Yeah, I think what you're seeing, you know, it's a transformation of what those players are like in the room, too. I, I think the, the players of 10, 12 years ago, you know, we talk about Kachuk and Ronak. It was a different era. Uh, on the way you could talk to, to even your teammates than it is now. Um, I still believe you need that type of player in your room. Um, and, and, you know, I look at a guy like Brad Richardson from last year's team. Um, he's a guy that had won, experienced player, plays really hard. I know his role was diminished as, as the years went on, but even as a fourth-line player, he would be very vocal in the room. If you want to win, you need to do this. That's not good enough. Um, I'm not sure who that voice is in the room right now or if that voice exists. Oliver is a captain, <clears throat> is a quiet leader. Oliver leads by example. He leads by preparation and the way he plays. He does things right away from the rink, um, how he eats and prepares his body. But there are times you need more than that. There are times you need to be able to look at somebody in that room and call a guy out um, and know that you're still friends and still teammates, but you still need to say, Hey, that's not good enough. Um, and coach talk, it actually encourages that because I think that he, he said in Pittsburgh, it would get to the point where guys are yelling and screaming at each other on how they needed to perform that next day. The expectations were so high. Um, they're going to need to find that kind of leadership going forward. And that doesn't mean a letter. It doesn't mean they have to be a captain. They just need to to be in the room and hold the other teammates accountable. I've seen that. We've even seen it a couple of times. You bring up the Penguins as an example. I mean, even just after their practices here, I've gone into their room where some of these other teams too that have had success. And you do have a sense where it's like, guys feel comfortable enough where they can call each other out after practice and they can, they can pick out any flaw the other guy has maybe in their game. And it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. They just come right back. And that person, if Crosby calls out Chris Letang as an example, Letang's going to call him out after the second period. They don't, they don't really, it's not hurting anybody's feelings because you're, you're working towards that greater goal. And to your point, I would assume once you've gotten close to that greater goal or you've had playoff success, it's a lot easier to take that stuff because you've sort of tasted where it's going to get you. For sure. And, and you want someone, you have to have, you know, the resume to be able to, to talk like that, either on the ice because you work hard every night or I've won. I've been there. I've been with teams. I've been with these group of guys or you need to have one of those two elements to be able to communicate like that. You can't be a guy that's in and out of the lineup, hasn't had any success. Guys are going to look at you like you're a phony. You have to have something to back you up. I'd also like to point out Craig did show off if anybody that's watching this. He showed off his, uh, his protein shake there and it was just Starbucks that he poured into a glass. That, that was pretty clearly, uh, as it was a, a poor attempt on Craig's part. This is a um, homemade protein shake, Luke. I have no proof of that. I'm going to drink some excellent coffee. Clearly it's working. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing too, I don't, I don't know if this is playing into it or not. But are we maybe seeing that the Coyotes are now 50 games into this condensed schedule and maybe some of that is wearing on them too? I mean, I know the other teams are facing that as well, but what I, what is so vexing about these last two games is they started so poorly and then they came roaring back. You know what I mean? So it does like to your point, PD, it doesn't feel like a team that has given up because they pushed back in both these games probably would have won both these games if they didn't start so poorly. But it just doesn't seem like they're capable of putting together a full 60 right now because they just seem worn down. And to that point, they play six games in the final nine days of the season. 
Yeah, you talk about being tired, and that's a word used a lot inside the locker room. Oh, they're tired. They look tired. This team hasn't had a back-to-back in over a week. Uh, you know, they've had days off where they didn't practice. Mm-hmm. Tired, to me, is more of an immediate physical feeling. I'm tired because we played three games in four nights. Banged up and hurt, different. That is a 50 game. That wears on you. That's a different kind of tired than, I mean, I'm sleepy tired because we traveled and got in at 2.30 in the morning. And, th- and those things happen along the way. This team doesn't have those excuses. Um, injuries, yes, they do. The, you know, But everybody in the league has had those injuries, and some even more devastating than what the Coyotes have faced, although some would question their goaltending injuries. But uh, for a team to be tired, you also see that by the third period, they're really out of gas. Well, well the reverse is happening here. The third period is when they have their push and look their best. So tired is an, is an excuse they have in their bag right now. I, I, I just think they're not emotionally ready to play. Now, what preparation they're doing individually before, I, I think, needs to be questioned. And, and you need to look at what they're doing as a group to prepare. Yeah, I, I would clarify, too. I wouldn't say necessarily tired. They just don't look sharp. They, and for whatever reason that is, whether it's one of the, the reasons you just threw out there, I mean, you're right that it's not like they've played a back-to-back in a while. They just – it's rare to see a team at this point in the season, I feel like, start a game so badly and then finish and play the second and third period relatively strongly and then do it back-to-back nights or back-to-back games, I should say, twice in the span of three days. It just – it doesn't add up. Guys, could it simply be that they're not that good a team and when another team gets a lead, they tend to back off a little bit? alter their strategy a little bit for sure it for sure it could be and, and you look at this team and some of the people that are in the roster today uh in april we didn't anticipate we're going to be on the roster in january like we didn't yeah. expect to see some of these players in the lineup on a daily basis so that that's a fair point and and i think you know you've got players and you, you talk about bunting bunting's a guy that that is He's playing for a contract. You know, some of these guys, there's a lot of guys on this team. That's the other surprising part. There's so many players on this team that don't have a contract next season. And they may not be playing for their teammate or the team or the organization, but they're, they surely should be playing for themselves. They need to work next year. So you, you see teams that some players that are in there, you know, they, their contract is expiring, have a big push at the end. So they go, Oh, that, you know, they, that player's hot. And it's all personal. It's their motivation, but I'm surprised you're not seeing more of that. Some of these guys are going to have a hard time getting a contract next season. Yeah. I, and I want and that speaks to the roster, the, the quality of this roster. I wonder how many of these players will even be working in the NHL next season. Well, you know, along those lines, I mean, how much does that potentially impact the team? Like there's a way to look at this roster and be like, okay, it's probably good that they're not tied to too many guys because you just got a new GM in there. And I'm sure Bill Armstrong wants to put his fingerprints all over this roster. And he didn't really get a chance to do that last off season. Like he brought in a couple guys, but it was such a weird off season. But at the same time, like you guys are saying, so many players aren't signed past this year. So does that creep into the back of your mind where it's, you know, kind of like PD saying, it's a bunch of guys maybe playing for, for, for their contracts next year, but they're not, they have to know in the back of their mind, this team isn't coming back next year or the year after, you know what I mean? So like collectively, doesn't that wear on you when you're like, okay, that guy's contracts up, his contracts up, my contracts up. Like it just doesn't feel the same as a team where the core, the main guys, the majority of the guys are signed for a few years and pretty much everybody's set to come back next year at least. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's a valid point. I, I think there's some, I don't want to call it fear, but the the, the, the unknown of what's going to happen. And, and I know that goes from Rick Tockett, the head coach, all the way down to Ante Ranta as the backup goalie. Where the heck am I going to be next year? Um, there's going to be a lot of that over the next few weeks. And that those talks are going to intensify in, in the next 10 days. You're going to see some of these people. There's potentially over half the roster could be gone. That that's an unbelievable amount of players that that aren't locked up for next year, specifically on the back end. I mean, you have three players, you know, OEL, Chick, and and Leibushkin have contracts. Beyond that, you could lose them all. So there are going to be changes, and it's difficult to make those many changes in one year. That's a that's a huge adjustment for a room. To, to undertake because players do things a certain way within an organization, whether it's, you know, where they breakfast in the morning to how they practice or all of those little details. And you throw guys in from all over it. It's, it's harder than people realize to pull a group like that together on paper. They, wow, they made all these improvements, but it takes a while to get that group to come together. So this is going to be a strange off season to see what direction um, Bill Armstrong is going to go and, and ownership and what they're looking for from a, a coach and B from, from a player perspective, you know, are they rebuilding? Are they starting over? Are we going to, they going to bring in some veterans? It, it's, it's really going to define the next two or three years over this summer. We got five guys signed past next season. And that's not counting like the Victor Soderstroms or the, the Barry sure. Aytons, but five, five guys on this active roster right now that are signed beyond next season. Uh, Craig, you put it in the notes. I think it's worth asking specifically two guys, Auntie Ranta and Nicholas Jalmerson. And I thought Jalmerson looked pretty good at times last night, but it's not so much that with him. It's just, you know, how much, how many more shots can he block in the NHL without goalie equipment on? Where do you see either of those guys next year? I look when I look at Nick. I, I wonder, aside from yeah, all the wear and tear on his body, and it's considerable. It's more than than most guys, given the style that he plays. He's won three Stanley Cups already. I mean, he's accomplished so much, and and we all know that he chose to stay in Arizona for family reasons. He's he's you know he's had some some personal issues. I'll just leave it at that. I wonder if if he's motivated to come back and play anymore in the NHL. So, yeah, I wonder if he's going to continue his career. And the same thing goes for Antti Ranta, and maybe not by choice. Um, I know that there are a bunch of teams that were, were looking at him, but they wouldn't touch him because of the injury situation. He's got such a serious injury history that teams just wouldn't – they wouldn't take a chance on him at the trade deadline. So is he going to be able to sign a contract when he has that history? Yeah, I, I look at these two players, and, and first of all, two really good human beings. They're good people, um, good teammates, nice guys. Clearly, that isn't a prerequisite to winning or building a team. Um, Nick Nick is a player that does everything right to the best of his ability, even though some of those skills and abilities are waning. You know, his speed, his, his ability to get from point A to point B is, is, is diminishing over time, but he still brings something to a room and to situations on the ice that you can't replace. His shot blocking, his penalty killing, his defending in the last minute of a game, those kind of things still exist. Um, could he be an asset for a team? Uh, I believe he can. I think he still has a little bit of gas in the tank. I, I think he can help a team. I don't think it'll be here. I'd be surprised if it were here, unless it's an unbelievable financial deal for the ownership here uh, moving forward. But I think you'll see the Coyotes going younger. 
to fill those spots. Um, if he wants to play again next year, I think he could find a home. He will probably be a six and a, or a seven. So he's going to come in and out of the lineup. But Craig brought up a good point. This is going to be about his personal life. Um, not his hockey life and is at some point he's made enough money. He's won. He's done all of the things he wanted to accomplish at some point. Is it enough? You know, he's going to be 34 years old. I would not be surprised if, if it was the end of his career, although I could see him signing another one year deal somewhere. Anti Ranta. I think that's going to be out of his hands. I, 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 I agree with Craig, I don't know an NHL team that would look at anti-rants and go, I need to add that piece to what we're doing. This season has showed most teams have two, if not three, goaltenders. I don't know where he would fit. I, I, I look at the number of games he's played over the last three years. I look at his injuries over the last three years. Teams would rather go with their 22, 23, 24-year-old guy that they're trying to bring along than filling that hole with anti-ranta. I don't know if there's going to be a spot for anti Ranta in the NHL next year. We've talked about this on this podcast before too. It's, it's an, it's an awkward role now that, that he would be cast in because, you know, to your point, PD, nobody's going to bring him in as their starter right away. He's been really good when he's on the ice for a good chunk of his career, but you can't necessarily no. I don't, I can't imagine a team next year unseating their starter to bring Ranta in. So then if you're going to do it, you're bringing him in as the backup. But unfortunately for him, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy and, more than anything out of your backup, you want to be able to turn and say, hey, our starter can't go tonight, so we need our backup, right? You don't want to then have to look to your number three guy because that's the night your backup can't go. I don't know. I mean, I hope he gets a, a shot somewhere, but I, I I think it's going to be a tougher path. I mean, I, I would think he'd at least get invited to a camp somewhere, but you just you can't predict how, how much he's going to be able to stay on the ice over the course of the season. Yeah. Uh, bigger picture on the goaltending then, guys. I mean, Temper's signed for next year. From what you've seen from Aiden Hill this year, I mean, we've seen a, a game and a half from Ivan Prosvitov. But what do you think the goaltending looks like going into next year, Craig? Oof. That's a really good question. Um, look, I, I think Bill Armstrong would have been willing to move either one of these goalies at the deadline if the offer had been right. Uh, it just it just wasn't there, and that's surprising. Um, I think there are a couple teams that could use an upgrade at goaltending. I know that the expansion draft played into all this. So you don't want to have to – you want to bring a guy in, give up assets for him, and then lose him in the expansion draft. But – and I've said this before. Look, with a team like Colorado, your cup window's open now, and cup windows don't last a long time. We're We're seeing the impact of not having an effect number two with Colorado right now they have fallen they, they could fall into third place in this division because Philip Grubauer has been on the COVID list and even Grubauer is untested in the playoffs so they don't really know what they have to me if you get to the offseason you get past the expansion draft there's what a, a couple days between that and the NHL draft is that yeah. right yep mm-hmm. I mean you get through the expansion draft if I'm Colorado and I flame out in the playoffs again this year because of goaltending and and I can't see another reason they would flame out you got to make a move. You can't go into another season with an uncertain goaltending situation. I mean, I would be looking at a guy like Darcy Kemper, and I do think that the Coyotes will be open to moving Darcy Kemper in the summer. I, I think you're you're right, Craig. But but you got to look back. Let's turn the clock back before this season started, where you thought Ranta and Kemper would both be available, but they would both be available at the right price. And I know Bill Armstrong was looking for high draft picks for either one. I don't think Kemper has performed to his all-star status of a year ago enough to warrant that high of a draft pick coming back. 
and from the Coyotes' perspective, you need to have somebody playing. You need to have two goalies that can play. The price is fairly reasonable for Kemper. I would I would be surprised if Darcy Kemper doesn't stay because I don't think the return is high enough to warrant trading him away now because I don't think he played well enough. Yeah, um, and this, this stretch has probably hurt him in that regard, right? Absolutely. Can, yeah. But, I mean, you could also look at that as a, as a GM looking at Darcy Kemper and say, okay, here's the body work, and here's a short, short stretch where he didn't play well. He was coming back from an injury. We don't even know if Darcy Kemper's fully healthy right now. For sure. So, so maybe you still think he's worth it. And, again, I, I keep going back to this. GMs overvalue draft picks way too much. And if your cup window is open and you're not willing to give up the, the 28th pick in the draft to get Darcy Kemper so that you can go pursue a cup – I think you're nuts. That 28th pick isn't worth that much. I don't, don't, don't disagree. But from the Coyote standpoint, what's the return to you? If, if all you're getting is a second round pick for Darcy Kemper, that second round pick may, may be a player three years from now. Maybe I'd rather have Darcy Kemper today than a second round pick down the down the road. That's me. Yeah. Now, if I'm Colorado, round pick, and I don't think they 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 wanted a first round pick for him. And I get that right. they don't go for first round picks. I just don't agree with the logic sometimes. In GM. Yeah, but, but Darcy Kemper is on a good contract for one more year. He's not going to, and, and everybody's looking at their cap situation right now. So he's he's a good acquisition from that standpoint. You know what his body of work is, and you can make a decision on him after next season. But to me, for the Coyotes. Darcy Kemper is not going to factor into this team's plan. He's not going to be around when, when they hope to be good. So why not get, if you can get the, the right asset, why not move him in the offseason? You can always sign a veteran in the offseason, a UFA that, that costs you less, that can get you through like a stopgap year or two, because let's face it, this team's taking a step back. I agree with that. It, again, it's what is the return. And, and I, I don't think the Coyotes are looking at their Stanley Cup window as being wide open next year. I, I, I don't believe that's the case. You still need to have two goalies on your roster. And unless you can get a return that either A, a prospect or a player that can play in the league right away because they're going to need bodies to put on the ice, um, or two, you can get a high draft pick. And that means maybe a second, but you really wanted a first, and he's not going to be worth a first. I don't think so. That's If you can get those things, trade him but i i don't think they're going to get that kind of value from him right now i i just don't think so i think he's capable of doing those things i think he's still an all-star goalie i don't think the injury has i don't know about healed but he clearly didn't come back from that injury playing the way he has played in the past he can also help this team next year win games um when they're going to have a difficult season next year you at least with a an a one a goalie at least you have a chance every night um so it, it's going to have to be the right return for them to, to to part ways with darcy kemper well let's play that out do they want to win games from a managerial standpoint yeah and, and that's a great point you know I, you got to look at what their drafts draft picks have been traditionally they need a high draft pick mm-hmm. you may be right I, i'm always looking at it from the coach's room perspective and, and you want to win those games um, you hate to handcuff coaches with a, a less than you know winning roster but you're right geez that never happens around here i know <laughs> yeah I'll but defer. i mean it's the other thing that never happens around here is the coyotes moving up or even staying put in the lottery so i i don't know i don't know that that's a path that this franchise in particular would, would want to go back down the other thing and we'd have to see how this plays out but the guys that you do have signed past next year are your core guys and they're your younger guys. I don't know that you would want to go into a season 
purposely saying, hey, we're not going to be we're not going to be our best this year and put your young core through that for a year or two. If you bring Darcy Kemper back, like PD said, you have a chance most nights. And so regardless of who else is on the roster, if he plays the way he played last year and the year before, you have a chance most nights. Now, I would agree if somebody's offering you the world, and I do think if Colorado doesn't at least make the Stanley Cup, they should be offering you the world, then that changes things. You know, you got to be smart, big picture. Sure. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to. What's, What's the, what? the long play with the Coyotes? If, if, you, if you don't want to put your core through that sort of season and you you got a goaltender that's going to win you some games, and so you miss the playoffs but you draft eighth, what's, what's the long-term play? This team needs elite players. They need first-line forwards. How do you get those? You get those in the first few picks of the first round. By and large, that's what the percentages say. So what's the long play? What's, what's the gain from keeping Darcy Kemper, making sure that your team is competitive and battling for a playoff spot, and then and getting a first round pick that, you know, maybe becomes Mikhail Bodker. I, I would I it's, would agree it's, with it's that. Thick. Well, I just I would say the 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 fourteen fifteen Coyotes was the worst Coyotes team I've ever seen, and they came out of that draft with Dylan Strome. I mean, I just it, it, and I've seen it with the Suns here locally too. The years where they were trying to play for a top pick, their best players are guys they got with the twelfth and thirteenth picks. I just think that you. Again, if you if you get an amazing offer for Darcy Kemper, I'm not going all in on next season. But to me, I'm stockpiling picks. And if I'm trading guys, I'd really like prospects that I've already kind of seen play a little bit in other team systems. Because I just don't believe the Coyotes are ever going to win a draft lottery. The, the <laughs> problem that you've seen with this franchise, and I've been mired in it for years, is your ninth to 12th. You're just good enough to not be bad and not good enough to be good. You're stuck in that middle where you don't get a good draft pick. At one point, the Coyotes were tied for last with the Pittsburgh Penguins right before the lockout of 0405. And, and who is the first pick overall? Sidney Crosby. And who doesn't get that pick? The Coyotes. Pittsburgh and the Coyotes were both fighting for last and Craig's right if you want to go from there to the top of the heap you need to not only pick it right once you need it twice you need Kane and Taves you need you know Flurry and Crosby you need that to happen and you could still be Edmonton and do it four times and still not win but if you want to win you need that to happen you need to build that superstar from the draft and unfortunately in Arizona they've always picked either too low in the first, or you know, too high in the first round to get the wrong guy, or you pick Dylan Strom, and, and no knock against Dylan Strom, but he's not Eichel or McDavid. He didn't turn this franchise around. And that's and, the thing too; they did. They may have not have gotten Eichel or McDavid, but that was a great draft. There were a ton of great players yeah. that came out of that draft, and they chose the wrong guy. Yep, because it was the consensus pick. Well, then that was bad scouting because. He's not even first round draft pick worthy. All right. Yeah. You no, know, is it Mitch Marner? Is it, you know, you look at some of the Barzell. Some oh, of, there's so many players. Miko yeah, Rantanen. Right. Sebastian Ajo went in the second round that year. Yeah. It's that, an unbelievable honestly, draft. You're right. That's one of the best drafts I, I can ever remember, to be Since honest. 2003, it's the best draft I've seen in the NHL. And they came out of it with Dylan Strom and Nick Merkley. We're, yeah. we're getting to the point where I'm willing to put it up against 2003 here pretty soon. If you start to look deeper in that, in that draft. But yeah. the only thing I would say is at the time, 
it sounded and felt like every team in the league would have either gone Strom or Marner with that pick. Now, obviously, a big difference there between those two guys. But as much as like Nico, is that group thing? Do they all convince themselves? I mean, they were so wrong. It is funny, Craig. You you say that, but that clearly becomes a part of it because if you miss. And you swing in really miss. You're, you know, you go back to the draft when the the Coyotes picked fifth and picked Blake Wheeler. I was sitting there with my draft guide, and he was on like page ten or twelve. Like people are going, who, who, who is this guy? Like they they went so far off the the path to pick Blake Wheeler. And when you look over time, they were right. That was a great pick. Unfortunately, it was a great pick for someone else. Is he the best draft pick in Coyotes history, by the way? <sighs> he, he, he might be. Can you imagine if he's wearing the red, white, and black right now? Like a, a strong right-handed shot that can get to the net, play a little gradient physical, and can skate like the wind. Oh, they, that that is so frustrating as a Coyotes fan and employee to watch him play somewhere else wearing a C. It's really hard. And he's a guy that we struggle against as a franchise every time that the Coyotes go against the Jets. Uh, it's so frustrating the way that whole thing panned out. But it goes to the point, you have to hit when you get picks in the top five. You have to pick it. You have to. Otherwise, you get stuck ninth to twelfth. Is there a team you guys look at though around the league? And, and if you, if you subscribe to my theory that they're just not going to win the draft lottery, they could, they could be 30 points behind everybody else and they wouldn't get it. I hear what you guys are saying. I don't disagree. That's the way to build a team in 2021 is to get Mitch Marner and then get Austin Matthews or to get Sidney Crosby and of getting Malkin back when Malkin was good. It's, it's not possible though for every team. I mean, that's almost a flaw to the system if that's how you have to do it. Is there a team you look at around the league and you're like, okay, well, maybe they can try and build like that team? Because, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, Bill Armstrong is going to be starting you know, his own era now with this team. Maybe the Islanders? Yeah, I, I mean, you look, you look at a team that does it collectively. Not, there's no real – I mean, Barzell's a nice player but and Lee, but they do it as a committee. They do it as a group of 20, more so than elite – two or three with solid pieces, they do it as a group. I think that's probably the closest. What's that? And they also have the best coach in the game. Maybe, but I think that's part of it. I think if, if you're not going to have – we talked about coaching so many times on this show. If you don't have those elite players – Craig, you and I could go and, and coach the Detroit Red Wings back when they had Datsuk and Zetterberg. I mean, but just open the door and let them play. You know, this – you need to have a an elite coach to pull a group of non-elite players up the mountain. So I think you're right. Barry Trotz has done an unbelievable job with the New York Islanders, but that's more of a game plan and a footprint of what you need to see here in Arizona, where you're going to have to do it by committee, and you're going to have to you're going to have to get a little lucky getting some people that maybe didn't fit somewhere else that fit here, and try to put it together like a big puzzle. The best example, again, is Vegas. At the time, Vegas is just a group of ragtag castaways. But when you get the right guys with the right personalities and the right desire and will, you can build something special. And they they came out of the gate hot. I think that's going to lead unex, uh, unreasonable expectations for Seattle. I don't think you you know lightning's going to strike twice. I think Seattle will be okay. I don't think Seattle will be Vegas. Uh, let's go back around the NHL here a little bit. Um, the Rangers <laughs> in a division where everybody is winning. Somehow the Rangers are not out of this yet. 
I think, uh, at least for myself, I mean, I saw them as a team you really have to look out for next year and the year after. And honestly, like they're not getting anything out of Capo Caco, and they're not getting that much out of Lafreniere, and yet here they are, just a couple points back of Boston, who wins every night. Yeah, and the Islanders, too, are within range, but the, the problem is they, they've got six games left, so it's almost like they got to win out. Yeah, you know, and he, not only that. Really well. Not only do they have to win out, Craig, you see they're, they're, all of their six games are against the, the top three teams. Yeah. You know, they've got you know the Islanders, the Capitals, and the Bruins. I, I – they're not going to be there this year. That's that's the way you get in, though, is you take care of business and you you knock the teams out that you're chasing. But yeah, it's a great experience for them. It's almost like a, a, a mini playoff for them to finish this season, and and then maybe you know I, I don't know that I believe so much in momentum from one season to the next, but it's at least a, a really good lesson for them the, these last six games. Or, I think it is uh, for the young players. Why so. is learning lesson a, a phrase now, by the way? I, I hear everyone saying it's a learning lesson. <laughs> I, I do, though, so Craig. My nature involves learning. It's so. learning. So, you, yeah. <laughs> what do you call that? You're the writer. You should have some – pull your thesaurus. What does that mean? It's not a double negative. What is it? I don't know. It's redundancy, isn't it? <laughs> Redundant. See? It's the radio guy, not the, the writer. But I think when you do talk about those learning lessons, I think it is it is important for those young players to see – what it's like to play important games late in the season. And it's one of the things that was missing from Edmonton during all of those years with the high draft picks. They never played a meaningful game the last 20 games. And I think, you know, we've, I've mentioned it before, winning breeds winning and losing breeds losing. And once you start losing, it's hard to get out of that pattern. And Edmonton never played an important game. So the Rangers are playing important games with 10 games to go. I think for those young players, I think that is fantastic. So when next season they go, hey, how exciting was that? These games mattered. That is fun. And as an employee or a player, you just or a fan, you want to go pick up the paper in the morning and go, gosh, we have a chance. That's all you can ask for at this time of year, that we're still playing meaningful games. Um, and I think it's important. And the Rangers, I th- honestly, they did, they, they exceeded what, what I expected them to do this year. And next year, when the divisions all go back to the way they, they're supposed to be, I, I'd look out for the Rangers. Hey, look at that goal differential. I know. It's unbelievable. But I, I wanted to do that, Craig, because you talked about the Rangers and their goal differential. I wanted to pull out their games versus Philadelphia, <laughs> that, that, where they were beating them by six and seven goals, maybe for next show. Wow, Philadelphia. Did, so we, we'll get to this. Luke, by the way, I went back and listened to the podcast where we did our division predictions. Yeah. And we, we basically uh, we dissed one team in each division. We, uh, we I think we get three or four in each division. Oh, wow. One team and – Man, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to admit this right now. Uh, I went way outside the box in this division, and based on the way they played late last season, I picked Philadelphia to win this division. So, Ooh, probably not going to happen. Awkward. Yeah. Uh, nobody has clinched this division yet, or even a playoff spot in this division. I believe this is the only one where nobody's clinched a playoff spot. I do um, – so I guess you still have a chance, Craig, except uh, – no, you don't. Um, yeah, no. The – the matchup you put in the notes, you know, who are some of the main first round matchups you'd like to see? And I mentioned, I, I, I would, I would love to see Toronto Edmonton in the first round. Not going to happen. I know PD said the Florida matchup with the Panthers and the Lightning, which may very well happen. The one that is lined up in this division that I'd really like to see is Washington and Boston in the first round. And yeah. I don't, I mean, like at the moment it, it, it is set, but there's those teams are so bunched up that could change five times between now and the end of the season. But that would be a, an epic, potentially, first-round series between those two teams who both loaded up at the deadline for these playoffs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I'd love to see that. I mean, I wanted to see the Battle of Alberta. That's not going to happen. We'll get to that in one of our hot topics in just a minute. Um, But as we talked about with the Canadian division, I think we're going to get Montreal and Toronto, and hopefully Toronto wins so that we can get Matthews McDavid. Um, In the West, are there any matchups that you guys want to see? Not until the next round. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I think, but it's funny I'm though. By St. Louis, I'm, I'm intrigued just because of their history. I think you're right, PD. I don't think that they're the team that they used to be. Obviously, they don't have Petrangelo back there. Um, that that's a big loss for them. They just don't feel the same. But I'm still intrigued by what they might be able to get done in the first round because they're coming in so hot. It's you look at the the first. We'll go back to Luke and the Washington Boston matchup. I think Boston might be the best fourth place team. Yeah in the league yeah. right now, that's going to be a tough matchup for Washington. They're going to have their hands full. That Boston team right now is deep. They're playing well. They're playing with confidence. That's going to be a tough series. That That's not going four. That's going to be a, you know, a six or seven game series. That's going to be a knockdown drag out. And unfortunately it might wear a team down for the next round, but you look in the West. What's interesting. I think we're pretty confident that we know the four teams, but there is still a battle for that first spot. That's going to be important. Because when you look at how these teams match up against each other, the one interesting matchup is Minnesota plays extremely well against Vegas over the last two years. They have a winning record. It's a team that they feel they can beat in the playoffs. So they they desperately would like to see Colorado overtake Vegas so that uh, they could play Vegas in the first round. They don't want to face Colorado. Um, so there's some inner matchups still within this division that I think are going to be interesting. Don't you know, anoint Vegas and Colorado onto that second round quite yet. Colorado, we've talked about their goaltending and Vegas and Minnesota isn't a matchup that I, I think bodes well for Vegas. Um, I think if the standings stay the way they, they are now, where Vegas plays St. Louis and Colorado plays Minnesota, I think we will see that Vegas-Colorado matchup. And I'm looking forward to seeing that because I, I still think those are the best two teams in the league. Colorado just so banged up right now that I don't I don't see him climbing in the standings with how much time is left. So I, I do think we're going to see Minnesota-Colorado yeah, I do too. And I think they can get by. I, I think the way that series is going to be played, uh, I do think Colorado will be able to get, get past Minnesota. Provided yeah, great timing. <laughs> great, great timing that uh, St. Louis got Colorado without Rontanen in their goalie and the Coyotes got them in full strength seemingly every time. Uh, mm-hmm. but that's the way, that's why you don't want to leave it in anybody else's hands, I guess. And to be clear, the reason probably subconsciously that I want Boston Washington is because I do think Boston would beat Washington. And when the playoffs roll around, that's really all that matters to me is Washington losing. <laughs> Um, Calgary. All right. What do we do with the flames? 45 points, 21, 24 and three on the season, almost certainly going to miss the playoffs. They have eight games left. So does Montreal, but they're six points back of Montreal. We've talked about them on, on this show in the past. I mean, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot I would have done differently if I was Brad tree living over the years, at least with my skaters. And yet, I mean, it's Calgary. It's a Canadian city. They're going to miss the playoffs. It's not going to be all the players that go or at least take the heat. Yeah, I don't know what they'll do here because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he has two years left on his deal after he re-upped. Yes, right? he does. He has two years left. So I'm I'm not sure they make a change now, but, I mean, this team has been unbelievably inconsistent in his tenure, and he's made a lot of moves. He has made a lot of moves to try and improve this roster, and – they just haven't found the right mix. Um, I, I mean, I think part of this is if you look at the center position, I don't think they're elite there. I don't think Sean Monaghan is the kind of guy that – I don't think he's a franchise center, and that hurts you, at, especially when you're playing in a division like you're playing in right now. 
I just don't know that they have enough of those elite players to get Calgary over the hump in spite of all that Brad's tried to do to fill in around those guys. Yeah, it's a team that's an almost team year after year. And Brad Treliving was an assistant general manager here. I've worked underneath him. He's he's a great person. His work ethic is second to none. Um, if he had this kind of success in Arizona, where you're making the playoffs um, four of your first six seasons, he'd be the GM uh, of our dreams here. But it's Canadian City. And making the playoffs four out of six – it's just not good enough in Calgary. They, they need them to continue on. Um, it, it's, it's a hard place to manage, I think, because it's an ownership group that gets very involved in decision making. Um, and, and I know that in some cities, the GM is, is free to make the, all the moves and decisions and staff hirings that he chooses. I don't think that's the case here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I look at what Brad Treliving has done in Calgary is, is the coaching carousel that has gone on under his tenure. And he's, you know, on his fifth coach now. Uh, at some point, the GM's next in line. And, and unfortunately, his time is probably waning in Calgary and somebody's going to get a great general manager out of it. Um, I, I am surprised with a couple of those coaching decisions. Like the Bill Peters one to me, it, it surprised me. I, I, there were rumors and rumblings of what actually occurred and came out after he was hired. There's some of those, those same concerns and, and rumors prior to the hire. So that one kind of surprised me and, and the Daryl, the Sutter hiring right now, it's really out of left field. I, I think that's probably more of an ownership decision than it was a management decision. I don't know that, but it doesn't seem like a guy that's retired and he's working on a farm is going to be the guy to come in and save the franchise. And not only that, but give him a three-year deal. So that one surprised me. I think that one to me probably signaled the beginning of the end of Brad for living in, in Calgary. Um, I think he will be a guy that's coveted in, in another city quickly. He won't be on the, the free agent market long. But as with everywhere else, when you have a contract and it's money going out the door, he's got two years left. They may wait till next season to see how their start is under Daryl. And if, if, if they can build on something um, and make some moves in the offseason, they may wait, wait another year. How is that? I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear the logic of all that. But even if they do move on from from tree living, how does that make Calgary better? You know what I mean? Like at, at some point, you're going to have to really tinker with this roster, too, or you're just going to kind of be this team. Because, you know, it, like Craig was saying, Sean Monaghan, like 28 points this year. He's got 10 goals like that. That is that your number one center? I liked the move for Elias Lindholm, and it's worked out really well uh, over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. But it's worked out well and that Lindholm's been good. The team isn't really winning anything. And, you know, you're in Alberta with the team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Like you're, you don't want to be in their shadow. Yeah. I don't think it, it makes you an immediate winner. Luke, what it does, it buys you time with the fan base. You just bought yourself another year. Oh, okay. Well, we're rebuilding. Oh, we got a new GM. Give him time to put his stamp on it. Oh, we have a new head coach. You know, give him time for Daryl to really become Daryl. It buys you time with a fan base so they have something to believe in and cling on to and go, okay, well, we got rid of him. He was the problem. Whether he is or not is really irrelevant. It's the perception of your fan base, especially in Canada. And now you just bought some time. And you're trying to get a new arena. You're trying to change what you're you're doing internally with players. It buys the ownership group and the fan base time. Yeah, did I see that that arena project was delayed again? 
Yeah, it is. Wow. And, and of all the arenas in the league right now, that's the one that probably needs to, mm-hmm. to improve. So long overdue. Do you remember the photos from the floods when there, were, there was water like 10 rows up? Yeah, it's insane. It was right before the season started, too. It's, it's amazing that they were able to play in that building. And, and it's funny when you – people are familiar with the Saddle Dome that really came into national or international recognition during the Olympics. Um, unbelievable building. But what happened in the floods, the water and that lower entertainment level where all the locker rooms are came up about six to eight feet, if not completely underwater. So what they've done in every single room is they have a picture of what that room looked like during the flood. So in the coach's office, the visiting team, there is a picture of what that room looked like during the flood with the furniture floating and, and the water, uh, how high it was inside of every room. Same thing in the locker room. It's, it's really an interesting um interesting view of what happened to that building and how quickly they were able to recover on that last road trip uh before covid shut everything down that you remember it went through calgary um calgary uh, vancouver calgary and then winnipeg um we were at calgary and of course taylor hall grew up there we were talking about the building and, and, and talking about those photos too but it, he i asked him i was asking him about that building because he had played there so many times and he performs really well in that building i asked him what he remembers the most and he said the thing that I remember the most is the smell of this place. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think of this place, I think of popcorn and mold. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think of, Craig? They go to our press meals, and people are probably aware that the press need to eat, although they shouldn't feed you, Craig. But oh, yeah. everybody has a press room. But it's hit or miss on the food. But what I found in Calgary is right next to the actual press room is the employee meal room where they had all of the concession stand food you know pierogies hot dogs hamburgers chicken fingers for a dollar canadian well thanks for the information bud buddy i I was i was a saddle dome employee every game for the last 10 years in calgary bring my five (laughs) dollars canadian and i walked out of there with chicken fingers pierogies fries nachos fantastic Oh, man. All right. I'm getting hungry. Uh, We've got about 8 million listener questions, so let's start with some of these. Joseph, did you ever hear any of the coaches' players complain about something Craig or Luke wrote or said, and were they right? Obviously, this would apply to Craig writing because I haven't said anything wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Luke, you've probably skated through on this one. Right. Yeah, it's. I won't say Craig specific. We'll say it in the media specific. Absolutely. My glasses. First of all, you'd be surprised how unaware the players and the coaches are of what's being said in the media. They are so busy working on their practice plan, game plan, videos that they miss a lot of the things that are being reported around them. That may come as a surprise to people um, because there's so much information to digest, but there are times over history where a coach will read a comment and going, they're just flat out wrong. Um, I, I think Craig has luckily skated around. He's not, you know, Brooksy in New York where it was combative relationships. Craig's aware he needs to be somewhat kind to these coaches. So I don't think there are any, big major rifts caused by Craig, but there are times absolutely when a coach goes, they got that wrong. They're just wrong. Craig, you don't have a rebuttal. Well, I didn't, I didn't feel like, uh, no, there's, it's nothing. I feel like, uh, Petey danced around that one very well. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, <laughs> like three specific examples when Craig wrote, Oh, I, I better yeah, know. yeah, exactly. Um, Rhonda writes in, I should have a question, but just, or I don't have a question, but just wanted to say that Steve's intro tagline should be, I got nothing because it makes me laugh whenever he says it. 
<laughs> P.S. Steve, you're doing a great job, and I'm really enjoying your insight. Thanks, Rhonda. And you're right. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've never been a performer before, so I don't know. I, I'm, you know, Craig's got this little catch. I don't know if it's catchy or not. It's kind of the handy handy. I don't know if I'm into it or not yet, but, <laughs> but at least it's something. I just can't do it. I don't have it yet. I'm working oh. on it. It's got to come organically. And when it does come organically, then I'll do it. You know, I think the unprovoked attacks are, are increasing in frequency. They are. They yeah. clearly are. Just wait. Just wait. By, by the way, Ron, can you come on the show and taste PD for me? <laughs> um, uh, Greg writes in, who should I send the bingo card to? And why, after each one I do, does Bowman and Chiarelli make the cut? Uh, wow. I actually, Greg and I already connected. He's sending it to me. So we will have Natty Hattie bingo at some point soon. Do oh, I have nice. enough of a history that there are bingo squares associated with my comments? I well, don't. Greg is probably listening right now, so he'll make sure to incorporate. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm guessing. Probably I'm guessing I got day. nothing. Will be on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, couple. Uh, Todd and Phoenix sent in a podcast logo and uh, asked, "Where do we submit then? We submit them? Yes, by all means. If you guys have them, probably just DM them to the, at the Natty Hattie." But you can see Todd's because he responded to us. It's solid. It's very solid. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's three different Coyotes hats on three different uh, ca- uh, three different parts of a saguaro. Okay. So better yeah, than anything we could have done. Or just three hats. It's three hats, and it has our names next to it. Okay. Gotcha. And it has mine listed first. Is, is Jamie in there still, or did I make the cut? No. Okay. No, just no. Checking. Jamie. Jamie's not there anymore. No. No, there's no napkins or anything. I'm like. hunting. Oh, I see it now. Look at that. I thought it was pretty solid. That is pretty solid. Uh, Ogie Oglethorpe. So apparently straight out of Slapshot writing in. I, for one, would like to see Goligoski back next year. I know there had not been any talks prior to the deadline. Do you think he is in their future? P.S. Ketchup is awesome on hot dogs and A1 sauce is great on fries. Well, I mean, you're half right there. Uh, Ogie, I was going to answer your question until you started talking about ketchup. So <laughs> I'm thinking about passing on that question now. Actually, if you read my piece from today, I address the Goligoski situation. I do think there's a chance that he comes back, and I definitely would not have said that a couple of months ago. Yeah, I like I when Craig. I like when Craig subtweets the uh, the or sub responds back to the uh, listeners with like, Ogie, if you put down the ketchup hot dog and read my article, you'll see the answer to your question. Wow. Craig will do that sometimes. Craig will drop yeah. the hey if you read my article. Yeah, shameless plug. Um, but but no, I, Craig's exactly right. I, I think the thought of Alex Goligoski coming back to this team a month ago would have been absolutely not. But as we've mentioned, they got to have seven or eight defensemen, and they have three. So somebody's going to have to come back, and why not have an experienced guy that you like, um, knows the city, knows the team, that is playing well. You don't have to sign him to the contract he has now. Yeah. You sign him to a you know a much lower dollar value and a shorter time frame. So yeah, I, I think there's a possibility. He's going to be 36. It's probably a one-year deal that you're talking yep. with a guy of that age. But we know he plays well with Jacob Chikrin. We know Jacob Chikrin loves him, and they have that chemistry. And how much is that worth to you alone to have that comfort level for your best player? Yep, I think there's a maybe. Yeah, I'm with you guys completely on that, and especially the Chikrin thing's a great point. You don't you don't want to risk any sort of step back for Chikrin, or you just don't want to mess with what's working for Chikrin. I don't even know that he would take a step back, but like, can he still take more steps forward? It seems most likely he's going to do that if he's paired up with Goligoski. Tyler, if you were to make a Coyotes Mount Rushmore, what four players would you put up there? To me, this is really easy. It's the four guys in the ring of honor. Keith Kachuk, Jeremy Roenick, Shane Doan, and Teppo Newman. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to agree 100%. And, and I don't know, I'll put Shane Doan on the Arizona sports Mount Rushmore. Um, clearly the Coyote one. There's been so many good players to come through here, but not only those four compete, played hard, did all the things right. Um, they're all four good people. Um, so I think I think you nailed it. I'd like to see a goalie in there, yeah. but Ooh, you know who was here long enough. Yeah, you know who like Happy Bullen was the 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 initial guy that gets you into the playoffs, and then you've got Sean Burke with kind of a resurgent. But you've had so many guys through the door, Briz and Cujo, guys that mm-hmm. that 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 restarted their career. Devin Dubnik restarted his career here. Mike Smith restarted his career here. It seems to be a stopping point for big goalies to restart their career. Darcy Kemper. So I, I think maybe put the goalie coaches up. I don't know. Yeah. yeah maybe that's why Sean Burke belongs there because he, he, he resuscitated several of those. Yeah, exactly. To me, the more interesting thing would be like the next four. Cause those four guys to me are obvious. It'd be really hard picking the next four. It, it, what would you guys say to the next four? I, I think Berkey would be, one of those guys, to be honest. I do too. We've got so many of those guys, like, you know, like a Ladislav Nagy or a Verbata or a Whitney that, that helped you yeah. for just such a short period of time that it's hard to put them in the window of the franchise. Verbata's uh, here a long time uh, when you put the three ten years together. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of service here, right? I think he might about. make the second one. Yeah. Um, but then you've got players that, you know, like Keith Yandel, mm-hmm. who, if he could have, if he could have stayed here, you can imagine what a piece Keith Yandel would be to this franchise right now. Um, it's so disappointing they weren't able to hang on to Keith Yandel. He he might be one of the best locker room guys this team has ever had. Yeah, I think Yandel has to be on that second one for sure, right? I mean, you still when you see when you see Oliver Ekman Larson passing people on the all time lists, Keith Yandel's name is still popping up on a lot of those production wise. And like Petey said, it, just the locker room stories. Anytime you ask any player from that era for a good hockey locker room story. And if you look back, I mean, Petey, you saw this firsthand. Some of those teams in the early 2010s, like that is a ton of personality in a room. You have Ilya Brzgalov, Keith Yandel, Shane Doan, Paul Bissonnette, just, yeah. just to name a few. I mean, that that is, that's a reality show before it's even a hockey team. Yeah, it's one of the rare times I would try to get into the room to hear the post-game and post-practice interviews. I would, Specifically, Briz, because you – you honestly didn't know what he was going to say. And he's, he literally did it just for reaction. Oh, he was an incredibly an intelligent human being. He's yeah. extremely well read. He was much, much smarter than he portrayed himself to be on camera, that he was, you know, the hapless fool. He was brilliant. I mean, he'd studied philosophy and he well read, but boy, did he say some off the wall. Off the wall things. Yeah, I mean, there were there were so many crazy things that where he just went off the wall and but but it was it was gold for reporters no matter yeah. what he was saying. But I've had I mean I've I've probably have a better relationship with him now than I had when I was covering the team. But I've had some great talks with him. And you're right, PD. He's a really smart guy. I remember interviewing Taylor Pyatt once at the Ice Den. So it was that small locker room, right? And we're like, hey, let's walk out into the hallway to do the interview. And Brzgalov just followed behind us singing a song about Taylor Pyatt's eyes and like his full equipment just walking down. (laughs) And Pyatt just had this look on his face like, can we get away from him before we do the interview? Uh, It's funny. It's the first thing I think of when I think of Taylor Pyatt, too. Like, I I don't know how many fans of his would just mention his blue eyes. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to remember about Taylor Pyatt forever. 
Um, Los Coyotes, Steve, we kind of touched on this, but of Toronto, Edmonton, Colorado, or other fill in the blank, which city's fan base will have the biggest meltdown if their failure to address goaltending depth results in an early playoff exit? I mean, my guess would be Toronto will have the biggest meltdown. We're talking about fan meltdown. I'd always go to Toronto first. Yeah, yeah, clearly it's going to be a Canadian city and it's going to be Toronto. If Unless they hoist the cup, their fans are going to go out of their mind. So it it's clearly the, now which fan base should be. It should be Colorado because yeah, we've talked definitely. about this for nearly a calendar year. And I, has it been addressed yet? I, I'm not sure. So They thought Pablo Francis was going to be healthy, but I don't, I, I'm not a big believer. Still in Pablo. not the answer. Yeah, I don't think he is. I, I think they need to make that move. And, it, man, again, if, if they flame out in the playoffs, if they don't get out of the division, Joe Sackick better do something. He's getting a lot of props right now for the team he's built. But if, if they blow their cup window because of goaltending, and that has been an issue for a really long time with that franchise, then he's going to take deserved heat for it. Uh, Eldon writes in, you have to compete against your co-hosts in a game. What game do you choose that gives you the best chance to win? Foosball. <laughs> Foosball. Wow. Wow. Um, um, like, yeah, I don't even play that game. So now I know I can win. Yeah, I'm, I'm out there. You got me beat. So that's yours. I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, uh, let's, let's, let's do it sometime. Let's get out Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> wow. I'm not going to win. We should, we should have like a Natty Hattie, uh, like Olympics, like a decathlon of like yeah, 10 events. I'm in. Well, are each we each get to choose something that's like age specific, like like Trivial Pursuit, for instance? Yeah, I I would prefer like a speed skating race. That's that's going to be well, my, physically. Uh, I'm going to lose everything, yeah. like my knees, my hips, my back. No, Nothing works I anymore. Pretty and I are both beat up from, yeah. from playing too many years. Playing, uh, you know, if, if we can't do anything physical, how about uh, bubble hockey, bubble top hockey? Oh, I love that. The USA, Soviet. USA. Yep. Oh, well, I'm in. I've got one. I bought one a couple of years ago, and it's randomly sure in Finland. So if you guys ever want to settle the the longtime Scandinavian debate, feel free to come over. We can play Finland versus Sweden. I think I'm during the offseason, we have a decathlon. Yeah, I, I, mean, I was just going to say, don't feel insulted. I've never been invited over either. <laughs> no, PG just got invited over, but not you, Craig, because you're too busy with your protein drink. Yeah. So. You'll be in the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to disrupt your reps. Exactly. Um, non-linear donut ball delivery. Coach Peters, what's your go-to pizza place in New York City before or after a Rangers game? Also, what's an emergency loan to an NHL team? Oh, it's two very different questions. Yeah, the, the first, the pizza one, I, unfortunately, because we it's a city we don't go to often, and when, when you go out to restaurants, you, you don't go out for pizza very often. I, I So I don't have a place. Unfortunately, I hate to disappoint Craig does. I don't. I just, I want it thin and crispy. I want it thin. I want the thinnest possible pepperoni pizza you can get with extra sauce. Where that's coming from, I don't really care. There's like a million choices, right? You, you, can, you can get a great slice in so many places. But I have a, I, when I go to Manhattan with the, with the team, I actually don't stay at the hotel because I have a buddy who lives in the West Village. And yeah, he's a Wall Street guy. So oh, this is so bougie, ridiculous apartment. But I always, I actually walk home from MSG because you can do that in in Manhattan now because it, it, there's okay. literally yeah, it's it's safe everywhere in Manhattan now. I don't I don't think anyone can afford to live there that doesn't work on Wall Street anymore. So I'll walk home and there's a place that's really close to his apartment called Bleecker Street Pizza, and it is 
unbelievable. They have great slices. Well, if I ever get back on the road, Craig, I'm going. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll reiterate uh, Craig's choice right there, but I'll do it in Craig's voice how he sounded. Well, when I go to Manhattan with the team, I go to the West Village and I get my delicious pizza. <laughs> the West Village. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, big tortilla. After cocktails. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really. yeah. Uh, big tortilla. A question for all three of you. Back when I was a little tortilla, my favorite hockey announcer was the late, great Tom Meese. Who was your favorite hockey announcer growing up? That's a good question by Big Tortilla. I'm, my dad was Canadian. I grew up in northern Minnesota on the Canadian border, so it's Danny Gallivan and Bob Cole. Anybody on Hockey Night in Canada, because that's the only hockey we'd get. We'd get, we'd get CBC, and you get those old-time Danny Gallivan and Bob Cole. Their voices to me still bring me back to my youth. And if you don't know their calls to the game, I'm sure you can go on YouTube and Google them. Google them, YouTube them, whatever it is. Search them. Unbelievable calls. And that's my childhood. See, I'm a Blackhawk fan, and Pat Foley's been around forever. He's he's an institution for the Blackhawks, so Pat Foley's my guy. I, when I first, first – I mean, I was watching hockey when I was like five. I remember Bill Clement and uh, Doc Emmerich doing games. But, you know, to, to Petey's point, growing up in Seattle, we would get Hockey Night in Canada on Saturdays. And um, Bob Cole's voice – I never really thought of it at the time, but then like a couple years ago when he was getting ready towards the end of his career, like you, you hear his voice and you just immediately think hockey. Like there's no way to, he could just be like, he could be ordering something at Burger King and it sounds like, Oh, it's time for hockey night in Canada. So talk about a voice that is synonymous with the sport that that guy absolutely has it. Yeah. And we'll go local. We'll just throw out a, you know, um, a Kirk Keelback shout out too for a guy that, a unique call of a coyote game. That voice was was uh, definitely memorable and all like Nagy that's a we, we the Nagy shout out um from Kirk Keelback always rings in my head. Um Dustin writes and Dustin has a couple questions. We're running out of time. So basically I'll summarize them with um We have a time how much uh, yeah, I don't. Well, think the, the listeners do. People have lives, Craig, and jobs. Like, well, I don't, but some people do, so they have places <laughs> to go. We they can't sit here all day. Um, oh Dustin's comment is essentially, or question is, how does the taxi squad this season impact the development of players? Do you think? I don't know that we have the answer to that yet, but it's a really good question, and I I do wonder about the impact, especially the guys that just. They just didn't get many games. Yeah, I think it's gonna. I think it's a disservice to those guys. I think specifically goalies that need to play games and see game situations. You look at an Ivan Prozvatov who just—it's almost a wasted year. Um, the American League as a whole, they had their their best players, the most talented players, all sitting on taxi squads for the entire season. Um, so that not only hurts that group, but it hurts the whole competition. So you're not playing against the better players, even the guys that are in the league. So I, I think it's really set that development back uh, for at least the season. It's, it's unfortunate. With the with the exception of Prozvatov, at least they had the other guys, Yenik, Hayton, yes. from down in Tucson developing, even though you know, it was a shortened season. They didn't get in as many games. At least they were down there consistently once Barrett went down. But, yeah, I agree with you. For Prozvatov, man, this, this feels like a lost year of development. Even with those guys like Hay- Hayden and, and Soderstrom being there, they're not playing against the best competition every night, and they're not practicing with the best players every day that, that elevates their game to a certain level. So, it's you know, you're right. They're playing games, and that's great. 
but it would be better if they're playing games against better competition with better people alongside them on the bench. You think that's another argument for keeping those guys in the A for another season? I do. I do. And I think, I think you need to see the success at that level translate into being a, it's a privilege to play in the national hockey league. I think you need to see success down there first. Craig, I don't know how you guys pronounce it in the West village, but you just called Jan Yannick, Jan Yannick. So I, know. I, just, uh, I did. I went, uh, sorry, my, my bad. And he even told me how to pronounce his name. So it is. Yannick. It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, Dangle snipe belly has one for each of us. PD. What is your go-to breakfast food? Luke, do you miss going into the ocean with dress shirts yet? And country star Craig Morgan, what are your plans for team coverage when media travel becomes a thing again? Do you intend to hit the road with them? I'll answer mine first. I'm wearing a full tuxedo into the Pacific the next time I'm there. I, breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. I'll go everything from bacon and eggs to, to French toast and powdered sugar. But my, if if push comes to shove and I only get it once every three or four months, it's a sausage McMuffin um, from McDonald's. Oh, I could do it every day, but physically I can't. Amazing. All of those sound good right now. All all of those. French toast sounds shockingly good right now. I know. Now. <laughs> On the road, once in a while, I, I would go with the French toast with powdered sugar. Now, Corey Schwab, ironically, we would he'd be last to the coach's breakfast table. Oh, every day, Corey Schwab would be last. And what we would do as a wow. group is we would – bet on what Corey Schwab would pick off of the menu because Corey Schwab is a very particular eater. Um, so it would be, there'd always be an argument between the waffles, the French toast and the pancakes for Corey Schwab. And if I had anything like a, you know, a berries included or internally in the waffle, you knew you could check that off the list right away. Not going to get it because it had berries in it. So if we would have a little bet and so we'd wait for him to order, and, oh, you, you know, you had to throw your, your money into the table on Corey Schwab's order. There you go. I was Corey always late. I, I don't know. But late was on time. I mean, if, if breakfast was at 8, Corey would be there by 8, but everybody else would be there at 745. It, it, it's just the way things work. If you're, if you're not early, you're late. But he was on time. It's just the rest of the group got to the table early, especially for breakfast. And a, I don't know if Rick talking ever slept. Like what those guys, cause I've, I've, you know, I've been in some of those hotel restaurants where the coaches are having their morning meeting. Yeah. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that. Well, I'm going to digress. If you have time for this story, Luke, one morning, this is my worst breakfast experience as a Coyote employee. We were in Vancouver. It was a day off. And Craig knows how rare days off are. Like day off on the road where you get to finally sleep. Um, it was a night after a game. We got to sleep in. I was so excited. I was texting with my wife. And I said, I get a sleep in. I don't recall the time. It was probably 730 in the morning. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to roll over and go back to sleep. I finally get a sleep in. Right after that, I get a text from Rick Tockett. Hey, guys, breakfast meeting at 8. Group text to the coaches. So I responded to my wife, and I quote, Ugh, change of plans, no sleeping in, breakfast with the coaches. Get down to the meal and <laughs> John McClain goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Ugh, you have to have breakfast with the coaches. And I'm like, no, no. It's like the commercial where you hit sand. I go, no, I didn't. So that stuck with me literally for three years. Every time we had to do something that was, oh, is this okay with you, Petey? Ugh, I got to have breakfast today. Oh, that feeling of dread just rushed over my face. That I, and I said, but you have to understand, I was in bed sleeping. It wasn't 
breakfast with you guys is always wonderful. Anyway, that's my breakfast story. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, Chris and Phoenix, after Steve's unprovoked and vicious attack on Craig last week, the question remains, who does more preparation for the podcast, Craig or Jackie the Duck? And the answer can't be HK. Yeah, HK is definitely going to go on the bingo card. Oh, I can Jackie tell you the that. Duck hasn't been seen in years. So, yeah, but that's working. not fair, though, because Craig, Craig actually prepares for the podcast, but uh, preparing for his real job. Like, that, this, so it's not even fair. Like, half the things we talk oh, about are stuff fair. he wrote about all week. You're not fair. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> HK. So, uh, he, do I prepare? I think I do, but mine's, uh, he wins. He prepares. Where is Jackie more. the Duck, by the way? What is that? Jack- Jackie the Duck is in hibernation until the playoffs start next week. And, what uh, is Jackie the Duck? I'm sorry. I should go back and listen to every podcast of the 278. Story. Yeah. 278. No, Luke. I believe I it's somewhere in the 270s. I'll try and rehash this very quickly in case, you know, any new listeners don't know it. Um, it was Craig used to ring the bell, the little Chick-fil-A yes, bell Chicago we had in the bell. studio yep. for Chicago. And at some point, some listener wrote in and said, Luke should have a squeaky penguin for every time the penguins do something that irritates Luke. And at uh-huh. one point, we were going back and forth, and this is we were in the studio, and I said something that irritated Craig, and Craig was just going back and forth, and Craig's finally like, hey, where's your duck? Not your penguin. I think he meant to say penguin, but he said duck. And then people started sending me stuffed ducks that squeak, so I've got like eight of them now ready for the playoffs. And they're all named after former penguins. Actually, Rick Tockett, Craig forced Rick Tockett to name one of them on the air once. He named him wow. Olfie. He did. He named him Olfie. Wow. <laughs> and we got Olfie the duck somewhere. Wow. That was awesome. All right, uh, I'll see if I can find one more here to wrap up. Uh, Stan John writes in. We'll, we'll probably get more into this in when the season's over. But uh, he says, protect Hill, Chikrin, Garland, Labushkin, expose Kemper, and OEL. Changed my mind. So obviously talking about the expansion draft. And like I said, we'll get more detail into that later. Yeah. There's a no move. You have to protect him by rule. Yeah. And beyond that, I know people are down on OEL right now, but if you trade him and he has like an, a, a legitimate list of teams, you'll get a decent return for all of Reckman Larson. I mean, teams need defensemen like that. I know that, I know he hasn't been good lately, well, but you'll get a lot. Yeah. But you'll get a lot more than Seattle just taking him from you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think we've talked about goaltenders last week. I don't think, uh, the Coyotes are going to lose a goalie in the expansion draft. I just think there's better goalies out there. Um, and like we said, OEL has to be protected. I think you're going to lose a forward. And I keep going back to Christian Fisher. I think he's the odd man out. Uh, a lot of the other questions are about stuff we've talked about, some Darcy Kemper stuff in there. Um, but we got to wrap up. Petey, you got to explain two weeks to us. Oh, two weeks. Really quick then on two weeks. I, I don't know if Coyote fans can remember when this team went into bankruptcy way back. Um, for an employee of a team, when you get up in the morning and you read in the, you know, on the internet and in your Twitter that you're, you thought you were going to get sold. We thought we were going to get sold in the next few days. We we're excited about a new owner. And uh, <laughs> Mr. Moyes instead decides to declare bankruptcy. There's a wave of panic. Like, I don't even know what that meant at the time. Like, what does that mean? Are we all out of jobs? Are we going to work? Is the team folding? Are we going to Seattle? Are we going to Portland? All of these things. And, and the media started to say it'll get cleared up in two weeks. It would be two weeks. So that two weeks turned into two months, into six months, into years. And the response internally inside the room for any calamity that ever happened regarding anything would always be, oh, two weeks. It's two weeks. 
You know, is it Glendale vote? Don't worry, two weeks. So it, it became the, the catchphrase for literally anything. Playoffs? Oh, two weeks. You know, it was, it was, it was our catchphrase to everything will be okay in two weeks. Just yeah, the wait fan base weeks. knows that. Even like subsequent ownership groups like the, yeah, the two weeks. Uh, Arizona group picked that up and started using it. Yeah, two weeks. Everything in every meeting, whatever, it's two weeks. It's going to be two weeks. It's okay. It's relax. Two weeks. We're going to Winnipeg? No, two weeks. You know, you think all the teams, places we were going to move in our lifetime. There was one point, and I'm not joking, that I had been on the internet looking for housing in Portland, Oregon. That's the night before Wayne Gretzky saved the team. And that's the closest internally that we ever got to, gosh, maybe we should start looking for a place to live. We've said this on the podcast too, Luke, like all the cities that people talk about and, and nobody talks about Portland. And that was the one that was the closest to reality. It was when you talk to people that were inside the business office at the time, that was within literally hours of that team. If not for Wayne Gretzky saving the day and, and becoming part owner in the team on that last minute, literally the meeting went into the late evening and into the midnight hours. He doesn't pick up a portion of the team this team is in portland within 24 hours of that meeting that's how close it got i think winnipeg was close i think the the atlanta thrashers coyotes conversation moving to winnipeg i think was close but the portland one was real and it was close no mention of quebec in there even though the quebec media tried to push that one for for a while um it makes me happy to hear that because two weeks was definitely a rallying cry among uh, a lot of my friends and people i've worked with too so (laughs) that that one definitely hit home with everybody all right guys good stuff uh there's two weeks left in the season so look at that that's the way we wrap up the show and uh we'll come back next week probably be pretty close to a playoff preview at that point and um yeah good stuff so for craig morgan steve peters i'm luke lipinski thanks for listening to the natural hat trick podcast